Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Reading this morning comes from Philippians 1 uh, to start with verses 12 to 14. Paul's chains advance the gospel. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And continuing with verses 18 to 26. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or by death." For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living within the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with God, be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for, all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. May God bless this reading of his word. Well, good morning, everyone. Allergy season's upon me again, so hopefully we'll just plow right through. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If you're new with us this morning, I'm Pastor Joey, and we are at the end of a series we're calling The In-Between, Exile Themes in Scripture. So I have a question for you to start things off, and maybe just think back a little bit to some stories of your past. Have you ever focused on the wrong thing when it was so clear you should have focused on something else? Yeah, I'm sure we have some funny stories of just tunnel vision, right? Of just, okay, focusing. One thing that happened when I was in grade 11, so that's year 12, I guess, is I had a chemistry exam. I don't like chemistry very much, to be honest. I liked the simple chemistry, but we got to this thing called organic chemistry that is just, yeah, true, thanks, Victor, just like right over my head. And we had to study for an exam, and I studied pretty hard, but I studied all the wrong things. I was supposed to study the organic chemistry part of the exam, and that's what it was entirely on. And I got my worst grade ever, which was like a 25%, because I studied the entire wrong thing. I barely passed chemistry by like this much. It was like a 52%. Yes, that's a pass in Canada. All right, but that's in the past. That's in the past. All right. Another thing that I 
didn't focus on that well was when I was learning how to play golf with my dad. I would always want to focus on the destination of where the ball was going to go, and I would never really focus on the ball itself. So what would happen if you've played golf? This is like a classic thing. If someone's teaching you to play golf, they would say what? Keep your eye on the, on the ball. Exactly. But I get ready to swing, and before it even hits, I'm like, where'd it go? And then, because I'm focusing on the wrong thing, but then all of a sudden when I focus on the ball and I just kept my head down, even when I hit it, you know, head down still, and then I follow through, I'm like, oh, it went straight. I don't know how that happened, but just keeping my head there for a split second longer made all the difference because I was focusing on the wrong thing. And there's so many things within our life, whether serious or funny, that we sometimes focus on the wrong thing. And within this in-between series, we're looking at what really matters. Like, what's the most important thing? Because we, we define this in-between space as this, this space between a promise given and a promise fulfilled. Where you're in this awkward in-between time where you're just like, all right, I'm supposed to live a little bit differently here. I, can, I know what the future's going to look like. I know that something, the promise has been given, but I'm living in this in-between. And we talked about how there's like these micro-between moments in our lives where there's endless. It's almost, you're, everyone here is probably in some form of an in-between right now. And then collectively as a church, we're in this in-between time as well. But today I really explicitly want to focus on the macro in-between, if you will, or the large, the transcendent, transcendent in-between, the in-between that affects all of us simultaneously at the same time, and the in-between that's, imp- that's been in the church for the last 2,000 years after the ascension of Christ. Because we're living in this in-between space of Christ's ascension after his resurrection and then the second coming. Promise given, promise fulfilled, we're in this in-between space. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look specifically at what was read this morning, but Paul's life, and specifically his life within the end of his life, presumably, when he wrote the book of Philippians, or the letter to the Philippians. So, who's Paul? Well, to start off, Paul is, or used to be, a Jewish um, Pharisee who was very zealous And he would go around persecuting Christians because he believed that they were a heretical Jewish sect, and he thought that God's plans and promises wouldn't be fulfilled if people were led astray to Christianity or to follow Jesus or the way. So Paul went around, and he went around persecuting Christians. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that completely flipped on his head everything he had thought about who Jesus was because he met the risen Jesus. And he's just like, oh, so he is the fulfillment to everything that I hold to be true. And that led him on this massive journey, a massive calling to preach Jesus to the known world at the time. So what would he do? He would go around to modern-day Turkey, um, Greece, a little bit of Malta, Uh, Cyprus, and he did three massive missionary journeys, spanning about 15 to 20 years. And he was proclaiming to people that there is this in-between time that everyone is in, whether you know it or not. If I could summarize it like that, there's this in-between time, and it's Jesus who's actually inaugurated this in-between time of then, one day, God making all things right through Christ. But there's this in-between, and his role was to help open people's eyes to that reality. 
And he saw himself rooted deeply within that reality as well. After his third missionary journey, he went all the way back to Jerusalem to, to deliver an offering because the Jerusalem church was being persecuted a lot at the time and they needed some money, some help um, to just survive. And Paul ended up there and then through some rather intense circumstances with, with people who hated him, uh, he said to uh, one of the Roman governors at the time, I am a Roman citizen and I would like to see Caesar which is a rather intense thing to say. If you know anything about Roman history, Caesar was the most powerful person in the world at the time. But Paul had this little trick in the back of his pocket. I'm a Roman citizen, which held a lot of weight in the ancient world. Very few people were Roman citizens. So knowing that, he knew that he would have to then travel under arrest to Rome, and he would have an appointment with Caesar as his right as a Roman citizen. So he's on this massive journey, and there's shipwrecks, and there's people who, cannibals, and, you know, it's a crazy bit. If you read the, the end of the book of Acts, uh, it's, really, it's really fascinating. And basically, he gets to Rome, and now he's under house arrest. And this is where we find him right now in the book of Philippians. He's in house arrest, where he's actually able to kind of move around freely, but with, like, guards around him, which is how many prisoners get to do that? So Roman citizenship had a massive weight in the ancient world. And he was actually encouraging the church. And he was even saying that it's actually good that he was in prison because the gospel was being preached in the emperor's guard's palace area, which is crazy to him. And what I want to do is I want to look at that beginning passage of Philippians because it really helps us understand what Paul was thinking about this in-between space and this in-between time. So, We read, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul sees this micro-between moment. It's a micro-between moment. He sees himself in prison. How much more of an in-between moment can you get if you're not in prison? You know, you're hoping to be free, but you're kind of chained up a little bit. He sees this as actually a really good thing because he's able to preach Christ and he's able to actually encourage and embolden the Roman Christians as a witness to what does it look like to live in the promise of Jesus in the here and now, in this in-between time. So we read on. Skipping over a little bit, he goes on a bit of a tangent we kind of skipped. So now we're going over here. Yes, And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So this is is a really interesting thing. So Paul is extremely confident that he's going to get out of prison. He's very confident, but he doesn't really care if that's the case, really, because we're going to read on that he has a very different perspective of what it means to live in this in-between time than I think maybe even the Roman Christians at the time and maybe even our general contemporary Christian world at the time, right now. So we think Paul died in prison here. We think he was executed and he was, I'm not sure if it was crucified or, or executed in some way. We think this because we don't have any writings of him afterwards 
and we don't have any direct, like within that generation writings, of him uh, moving on from Rome. And here's a little bit of uh, nerdy insight. The book of Luke and the book of Acts, which is the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, are actually one book. And it's believed that Luke wrote Luke-Acts as a defense for Paul in Rome to, as he was going to be on trial. And this was actually written to help him out on the way. And that's why at the end of the uh, book of Acts, we see he's in Rome and we don't hear anything else as to what's going on. We don't know. It's presumably that he, that he died. If he didn't, he would have gone on to Spain because he really wanted to go on to Spain to help preach the gospel all the way over to the Atlantic Ocean, essentially, which is kind of cool. But he doesn't care. He's like, all right, so if I remain in the body, that's great, but to live, to die, you know what, it's okay. Because he, re- he goes on and says this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? Interesting, he thinks it's a choice. I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. When I read this, this is probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Colossians 3.1 is up there, but this is probably a close second if I had to give you insights into my brain. Um, this is one of my favorite passages because it completely flips the value system of the world on its head. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is, this is Paul, a missionary to the Gentiles, a witness to the resurrection of Jesus in house arrest prison saying this. He says it's good that he lives on, not because it's better, but because it's better for everyone else around him. He understands his mission. He understands his calling. He understands the value he actually gives to other people. But if he were to be selfish, which is, I think he's kind of saying here, I would much rather die because then I'd be with Christ. And it's not like some suicidal thought. No, no, no. He, there's no assumption of that whatsoever within the text. He's ready for whatever God wants to happen to happen. But this passage in particular gives us an insight into what does it mean, what kind of perspective do we actually need to hold when we live in this macro in-between, this, this transcendent, this very large in-between moment. And it's this. Paul sees all of life as an in-between moment. He sees all of life as an in-between moment. I imagine throughout all of his missionary journeys, from the moment he met Christ on the road to Damascus, all the way through to this moment of penning this letter, he sees himself in this in-between moment. He sees himself longing to be with Christ, but knowing how important it is to get on with the work in the present. It's like you're torn. It's like... Have you ever had this happen to you, where, where your heart wants one thing, but your mind kind of wants, like, says, no, do something else? Where it's like, oh, like, oh, I just feel like this is the right thing I should do, but my mind's telling me, no, just calm down. I know it's better that I do this instead. I feel like this is kind of Paul's conversation internally we're getting a glimpse of, where Paul's saying, oh, my heart is just saying, I want to be with Christ, but my mind's saying, 
I need to, as long as I can, remain in the present because it's, that's what's best for the church. That's what's best for those around me. Living in this in-between moment. So what we need to do is we need to place our focus on the important in-between. So it goes back to that little funny illustration, the focus bit. The in-between time is an awkward space to be in on a macro level. But I think so often because we, we find it hard, and if, okay, sorry, if, if I'm saying all this jargon and you're like, what is he just talking about right now, all right? I'm, I'm going to be glossing over a bunch of stuff that is in the previous sermons. So if you would like, please go rewind a little bit. It's on YouTube. Get some context, because I'm not going to go into much detail beyond what I'm saying right now. Sometimes we like to ignore the macro in-between moments because it's, it's so difficult to actually practically figure out how to live in that space, to be completely honest. How do you live as a Christian within the world where you are an ambassador of Christ, where you have your citizenship placed in heaven, and you're actually a citizen of heaven now, but you're also a citizen of a country here, or a country somewhere else in the world, you're resident here, where there's a value system and, and a mantra to life and, and a whole bunch of um, assumptions that you just feel like you're being swept along in. How do you actually live in this in-between where your feet are in both worlds, a promise has been given, a promise has yet to be fulfilled, and you're just trying to figure this out? When that happens, I think it's a lot easier for us to kind of push it to the side a little bit and just really focus on our, our day-to-day micro-in-between moments where, where it's like, oh, well, I'm in between jobs or oh, I'm not sure who's going to be the lead pastor of this church or oh, I'm going to have a kid soon and I'm just going to be dominated by that thought all the time, you know? Those are not unimportant. Those are important thoughts. Don't misunderstand me. But what's really the important one? Because the macro, the large in-between moment we're all experiencing, informs all of our moments in life, including the awkwardness of just the normal phases of life that everyone experiences. And I would argue it's actually as we focus in on this large scale, where are we at right now in, in redemption history, in the world, in this time between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' second coming? How do we live in that space? It's actually, as you live in that space consciously, I think it actually impacts the whole rest of your life and how you approach it. So we see at the end of uh, Philippians, near the end, 4, 11 through 13, Paul say, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul is basically saying, I'm in prison, I, you know, but things are actually good. I don't, I'm content. I'm okay. I'm doing just fine. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, 
I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Classic passage. But what is he specifically talking about here? He's specifically talking about, if I would, I'm arguing, God gives me the strength to live in any situation and circumstance, a.k.a. to live within all these little mini micro in-betweens, any circumstance I might find myself in. Why? Well, it's because it's God who gives me strength, but it's ultimately because he sees himself placed within a grand story and a grand narrative that is defined, initiated, defined, and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And it's because of Jesus himself and where Paul sees himself in the story, he can say things like, it doesn't matter if I'm rich or I'm poor. It doesn't matter if I'm in chains or if I'm free. It doesn't matter what's happening in life because he just illustrated that. He sees being in prison as a moment to rejoice because the gospel is being preached in this context. It flips on its head. It flips on its, our heads what is actually important and what's actually valuable and what actually matters. But this leads us to the, the ultimate question. All right, this sounds really like a really great thing. Oh, good thought experiment, Joey. Cool. But how do we actually do it? It's, you know, I can give lectures, you know. Ever been a part of a lecture where, where someone, or a talk where someone just speaks in idealistic terms? And then you're like, all right, that was really cool, but how are we going to get to Mars, Elon Musk? You know, kind of stuff like that? All right, yeah, sorry, that was just, I watched a video the other day and it got me, I was like, okay, but how do you actually do that? It's this. Next slide. Thanks. It's through knowing the story of the Bible and seeing it as ours. This sounds like, oh, sweet, an easy solution to a really complicated problem. This is not an easy solution to a complicated problem. It's easy to say, but it's rather difficult to do. It's easy to understand, but it's rather difficult to apply. I think a lot of the time, um, especially preaching of the past, probably at least 30 years, because that's at least my framework, anyone who's older can attest to this. Um, A lot of preaching has been A plus B plus C equals perfect life. Or, you know, if you just follow this progression, boom, you did it. You're a really good Christian. Life's more complicated than that, and anybody who's lived a few years understands that. Anyone who's lived a few years understands that. So when I say understand the story of the Bible and see it as ours, what I'm actually pointing to and what I'm actually calling to is is intentional discipleship and followership of Jesus. And that implies a lot that we can't get into right now. But what that at least begins with is actually being part of a fellowship I'm preaching to the choir. This is uh, the holiday term break, and you're here today. This is like the remnant, all right? (laughs) To be completely honest. So, like, 
I'm preaching to the, you know, the, the choir of the choir, it feels like, all right? So if you're watching online, it's okay, too. This is great. I know holidays are awesome. I'm going to go on holiday this week, so no worries. But, but it's, it's, it's through actually being in fellowship with, with fellow believers where we begin to actually see ourselves within this story, and we begin to see the story as ours. We begin to actually, over years, decades, a lifetime, we begin to actually see how do we live in this in-between? How do we actually do this? I know when I was younger, you know, you're saying, oh, you're young still now, Joe. Yes, I am. But when I was younger, I would think that, you know, this Christian life just has to come fast. If I just figure out this, this formula or this thing, and then all of a sudden it just flicks in my head, and then, oh, great, I've arrived. That's not the case. It's through intentionally being part of a community that also believes this story and also earnestly desires to see this story as all of ours, that at least that's the beginning point of a journey towards how to live in this large-scale macro in between. I think that's probably the first thing. That is the first thing. The church has the keys of the kingdom. I think the second thing, as basic as it is, is, you know, you hear this all the time, is to read your Bible and to pray. It's, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's so cliche at the same time. It's, it's actually just, just reading the text, getting yourself into it, whether you get anything out of it or not. That's not, that's not why we read it. It's to immerse ourselves in a script that is an alternative way of being in the world to what you're being messaged to and what you're receiving every single waking hour of the day, whether through what's online, through media, through your workplace, um, even just through the, the things and the assumptions that people don't even have to say out loud. This is all kind of being absorbed within us. So actually to counter that, getting immersed in an alternative story of the text of the Bible is incredibly important. And then the prayer is personalizes the story. It's easy for us to, to make this just some, some mental exercise of like Christian meditation um, with like a Buddhist slant on it where it's like you just need to be more, be more mindful of the story of the Bible and then you've got it. No. It's actually personalizing it that allows for, I think, along a journey of life, allows for us to place ourselves in, in between because when we actually know Jesus and talk to him in the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in fellowship, understand the story, pray by yourself, pray with others. We're actually engaging with the story. It takes it from being know the story to also know the story and make it ours. That's the, that's the connection. And that's why prayer historically is so important because it brings you it brings you to the point of saying, this is actually real. And this is actually change. Changing who I am. So, the in-between. The, micro, the macro, the micro, following Jesus. What I'm just explaining to you right now is what many of you have been on this journey for a long time. And some of us have actually just begun this journey. And so when, it, when you ask the question, how do I become a good Christian? Like, how do I, how do I grow? 
as a Christian? Because that's really, it's all around this conversation that between is really, it boils down to that. And I would, I would want to reframe the question. The question really is, how do I become a faithful Christian? Because good might be defined differently depending on where you might feel you're at compared to someone else. But faithful re- redefines what direction you ought to be leaning towards. Because if you, if, you, if you know life, if you've lived life, you know sometimes it feels like four steps forward, three steps back, five steps back, six steps, ten steps forward. It, it feels, and then sometimes you feel really confident about your relationship with Jesus, you know, being in fellowship with others, and sometimes you feel like, what am I, what am I doing? I don't like saying, how do I become a good Christian? How do I become a faithful Christian? What I mean by that is, am I still on the journey? Am I still moving and seeing myself within this story? Am I still moving towards what it means to follow Jesus? Am I still trying even though I, I fail? But thanks to the grace of God, I get to keep trying. It's a redefinition. It's not a lower, it, you might be hearing this and, say, and thinking, you're lowering the bar, Joey. No, I'm not. I really think I'm just reasserting what the Bible points to, which is just faithfulness. And the beautiful thing about the Bible, and I'll close with this, and especially the New Testament, is, yes, we respond to Christ in faith. We respond to him in faith. But it's actually the faithfulness of Christ that saves us. We can't try and be a um, be who we aren't without first the faithfulness of Christ. It's Christ who's begun the work, is doing the work, and will complete the work. And we find ourselves within this story. And when we find ourselves within this story, the only response that is appropriate is to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you faithfully. And not seeing that as one moment of your life, seeing that over the whole picture of your life. It's a whole picture. And it allows you at times of difficulty, in times of really intense micro in-between moments, to take it easy on yourself. But also it allows for moments where you, you, you feel charged up and like Jesus is fresh and it's new and the story is real and it's, it's right here, it's in your life to actually be a blessing and to minister to others when they're in those micro in-between moments. Because when we see ourselves and when we really focus on the real thing that's important of where we are placed within this macro in-between moment, it informs how we live in all the other moments of our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know you've called us together not just here today, Lord, but you've called us through all the different stories um, that, we, that represent here. You called us here to this place through many different circumstances, many different avenues, that it's your spirit who draws us to you. And at this time, in this moment, we find ourselves together figuring out what it means to live faithfully in this in-between moment. Between your ascension and your second coming, Lord. And we know it's tough. We know it's difficult. But we know it matters. 
and we know it's so important. It's easy. We know it's easy for, for, uh, from a worldly perspective to see what the church does as rather insignificant. But we know, being within these walls and being in fellowship with you and with each other, that it's actually the work that is happening here through your spirit that is actually renewing and transforming the world in a subversive way. So Jesus, we ask that you would just empower and embolden us and, and help us see ourselves Help us see ourselves as your ambassadors, as your disciple, and as your follower. And may, we, may you give us the strength to say what Paul said in Philippians 4, where it doesn't matter what circumstance of life comes, you are still ours, and it is you we cling to, and it is you we follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.